Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. But anyways, welcome. We're excited that you're here at Centerpoint. My name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here. Uh, you're in for what we call a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. Our goal here is to do what any good Christian church should do, which is help you grow in your relationship with Him and then help you connect with God in a worshipful way each week. Our style just may be a bit different than what you're used to or other churches, but we're still true to the Bible and we still take God very seriously. This week, we're continuing our newer four-week series called Summer Blockbusters. That's why you're getting popcorn, uh, so dig in, munch on it. It's loud. I like it. I feel like I got to talk louder than two, so it's fun. Um, but with this series, we're looking at people in the Bible who have lives and stories that are like a summer blockbuster movie. When I think of blockbusters, I think of like explosions, fight scenes, heroes and villains, epic twists. But actually, a blockbuster could be any movie, right? Something of power, something of great success, something that's powerfully moving. If you're an old person, like myself maybe, I'm, I'm not that old, but if you're old, you maybe remember actually going to a blockbuster. Does anybody actually, I'm curious, like remember going to a blockbuster store? Yeah, like you'd walk in. Or like, what about this one, a movie gallery? Anybody been to a movie gallery? All right. How about family video? All right, that seems to be the favorite. Like, movie gallery was what we had in my town. And I remember looking through the store for, like, way too long, looking for the perfect movie rental for me and that cute girl I have coming over to hang in your, base, your, your parents' basement, uh, hypothetically speaking, of course, in, like, high school. Um, and, and then you'd bring home the disc only to realize, ah, we only have a VHS player. Or, ah, it's Blu-ray, not DVD. Or why did I get the full screen versus the widescreen? Do you remember those days, like where you had those options? Well, anyways, our four-week series is going to cover movie-like stories in the Bible, stories that we can learn from and think about and then apply to our own lives. And today's story is what I like to call like an ancient James Bond 007 story where you're kind of rooting for this guy who kind of has it all. Like, he's got the ability, he's got the ladies, he's got the stuff, the cash, the access, the power. He's got the influence, the ninja skills. But when you take a glance at him from afar, at the character of James Bond, maybe even for the first time today as I talk about these things, you start to become skeptical of his ways and sometimes you're straight up like thinking, he's kind of dirty. He's kind of dirty in how he does things. He's, he's always like lusting over people and always having to, to be the one that saves people and be the rescuer of, of, the, of the girl in the movie. He's always one about how he looks. He's one that's kind of like not living up to what you think would be his full potential with all his abilities to like save public safety or the world even. And he's kind of a bit extreme in his need for revenge, his killing, and retaliation, or even justice. I mean, it makes a great movie, right? James Bond is, can be great movies. But if you've ever thought those things about the character of James Bond, you will think that's the exact same situation with our Bible character today. We're going to look at, to this character that has all the access he has abundant power. He has blessings from God, and he's gifted to be this mighty, strong leader 
who could lead God's people to rescue from an oppressive enemy and put them back on path for God's ways, back to safety. Get this character? never chooses to do so in the Bible. He never embraces his calling and he never fulfills his potential. And it's kind of unfortunate. It's kind of unfortunate as he's gone and passed now and he missed out. But that's where you and I can kind of come in today. You and I can come in and how this story is for us today. We can look at this character and his story to learn how we should use our position to make sure that we don't abuse our position and make sure we don't abuse our gifts and influence and power that is given from God. And we're going to learn from them. I know I personally need this because I don't know about you, but like I have times where I know what God wants for me, but I pick my desires and my ways instead sometimes. Times I make excuses for why I did things the way I did or, or said the things I said to just justify it for me or to kind of make it right in my eyes with God, even though I know a full well that I'm wrong. Or times that maybe I've used my God-given ability to push people a certain way that's kind of for selfish reasons or personal gain. Or times I've pursued temporary pleasures at the expense of maybe others. Have you felt these things before? Have you ever let your own desires let you take over your personal calling from God? Have you ever avoided embracing God, your God-given push to do something? Have you ever abused a God-given ability for a selfish gain? Have you ever found yourself making excuses for, or for a rightful reason to get revenge or to bend the rules or to do what you want versus what God wants? If you can relate with any of those statements or myself, you can relate to today's character. Today we're talking about this guy named Samson. Samson. A few things you need to know about the story of Samson before we dig in is, first off, the story is kind of out there. It's kind of out there, and it's kind of sketchy. Like, and it's one that, like, as a pastor, when I, when I tell you this story, I'm not, like, proud of it. I'm not, like, excited to share this story because it's, it's, it's got some weird elements to it. But what we need to remember as we listen to the story and reflect on it is this story is from thousands of years ago. So the way things were done or what was chosen to do at that time, it was ancient, right? And we maybe see as like unnecessary today, yet back then, such things such as killing of nations, annihilation, how to handle conflict between other people is very different. Whether God wanted these things to, ex to happen exactly the way they did or happen the way because of that particular culture, that's up for you and God to interpret for yourself as you listen to this story. But what we need to remember is that this is an ancient story of ancient people written by ancient people for ancient people. While at the, at the, while at the same time as we look at this story, we need to remember it's holy scripture, right? It's God's holy word given to us to apply to our situation. So we need to hold that tension. With that said, our story, it's in the book of Judges, which Judges picks up about 70 years or so after Israelites, or Israel's exodus of Egypt, or the time, you know, maybe you've heard of Moses, 70 years or so after that. Judges is this book where God inspires leaders uh, by giving them gifts to help them lead his people. Yet what we see happen is God's people, they start to like move in the right direction. They start to move towards God. But then the Christian word for it is they backslid. They, or basically they just dropped the ball and messed up. Uh, and they would start to choose to go against God's ways. So God allowed his enemies to oppress them. 
But God time after time after time would raise up a new judge, a new person to lead his people, and then get them on the right path. Yet once again, they would then return to their old ways and the cyclical pattern of messing up and sending a new leader happened over and over for about 150 years. And if you look at the book of Judges, they tend to get worse and worse and worse as it comes by. You maybe have heard of other judges such as Gideon or Deborah. Those are some other ones amongst a, a few more in the book. But you'll see stories in Judges. They celebrate these charismatic, powerful leaders, but it also shows their flaws. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something I need to learn from, and I like learning from. I think so many of us lead, right? Whether it's at home or with kids or with a group or a team or at work or anywhere, and we have these gifts to lead certain ways, but we definitely have flaws. So let's get to it and let's learn from this character. Uh, our story, how it starts is it's with God's people being conquered by the Philistines. The Philistines were kind of like Vikings, I want to say. They're like Vikings. They're, 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 they were pagans. They believed in more than one God is what that means. And they were seen as unclean from God's people. Well, we have God's people living in the midst of being conquered by these people. And they're oppressed and bullied by these people. And as we zoom in on one particular family, there's a man whose wife is unable to get pregnant. And they have no children. An angel suddenly appears to them and states, you're going to have a baby. Wait, this sounds familiar, right? No, this is not Jesus. This is not the Christmas story. This is, this is in the Old Testament. And it, this angel appears though and says, you're going to have a baby. And this woman finds out she's going to have a baby. But the angel says, be careful not to drink wine or any alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden foods. And then... You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, it says. If you've never heard this story before, you're probably like, wait, what? That's hair? Why? Like, but give it a second. It continues. It says, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Makes sense now, right? Not really, right? Like, let me explain it to you. Because honestly, that wouldn't, you wouldn't know these things unless you, you looked into it. Like, you see the word Nazarite, and what does that even mean, right? It looks kind of like Nazi. Like, it definitely doesn't mean that. Um, it's not that. Um, but what it means is it is something that has significance to the Old Testament. And what it is, is it's an Israelite showing publicly that they are dedicating their lives to full service to God under vows to abstain from alcohol, to let their hair grow, and to avoid defilement by contact with like corpses or dead things or anything unclean with the intention to show that they are set apart. They are different. These were big choices that they did in the Old Testament because God's people, they were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to be different in the Old Testament, and the reason was to point to God. And this is one way that was like being kind of extra in being different. Not everybody did this, but a lot of people chose to make this their intention. So this future boy, Samson, is to abstain from alcohol and things of alcohol, such as grapes and raisins, and not get close to corpses and let his hair grow. Sounds easy, right? But we'll see. Well, if we continue, this woman, she goes to tell her husband, and he does one of these like, wait, what? Something's not right here. Like, this angel appeared to you like, wait, like, and you're pregnant? 
let, let's get this angel back here. We, we, I want some confirmation of like what's going on. So he's like, let's get this angel back here just to be sure. And they pray for the angel to reappear to both of them. And the angel does. And they say to the angel, when your words come true, uh, or they say to the angel, when the words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. And they gave this angel an offering of thanks. I got to pause it for a second and think for us. When you've been wanting something for so long, being barren is what their situation was. You've been praying about it. You've been asking. You've been hoping. And let's say you finally get it. What do you do? What do you do in those situations? Do you look to God and, uh, and say like, thank you. Thank you so much. Give me direction on what I should do now. I know I don't always do that. I know I need to. And maybe that's like what God is waiting for from some of us is to make sure we're thankful for the things we do receive. But they do that. In this situation, they do that. They, they give thanks and they follow the directions from God. And sometime later, the son is born. When their son was born, she named him Samson and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. We now fast forward into the story. Samson is in his adolescence. And let me just say this next section of the story makes me never want to have teenagers. I'm sorry for the parents out there that have teenagers. It makes me never want to have teenagers because this is what happens. We see what any ancient stereotypical teenage boy would be doing. Uh, he's checking out women. He's checking out women in the story. That's how it picks up. It goes from birth to him being a teenager, checking out women. That's what happens. Well, this Philistine woman catches his eye. Yes, the Philistines, the ones who are oppressing him, his people. And it catches, this woman catches his eye, and the, they're the ones that are bullying their people. And he goes home, and when he returns home, he told his father and mother, he goes, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. I got to chuckle a little bit at this, like, because I'm happy this doesn't happen in our culture today, right? Like, I like this girl. I see it. Get it for me. Like, right? Like, that doesn't happen today. But you know what they say, what goes around comes back around quickly. Ye, so I'm a little nervous as a father, but we'll see. Uh, but anyways, what happens is the father and mother, they objected at first. It says, isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you can marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. So let me get this straight for you. The foundation for his desires is her appearance, all right? And he wants to marry her instantly. That never happens today, right? <laughs> okay, it does. But, but here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. The parents go. They go. They go to set up the arrangement and make the marriage happen. This is a side note from the sermon. This isn't part of the sermon, but psst, I've only been a parent for one year. And when your kid tells you to do something, you don't have to do it. Maybe that's the sermon you needed to hear today. But anyways, as the parents go, because they do follow his direction, they go, things start to get crazy for Samson. Samson decides to keep on his rebellion, and he heads to this vineyard. 
And what happens at this vineyard is it says, as Samson and his parents were going to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the, lo- the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. First off, awesome, right? Like, awesome. This just shows God's presence, right? Like an ability given to Samson. Like no human person can really do that without God's presence. But secondly, I mean, this is a different culture we're looking at, but I feel like this is something you would tell your parents happened to you, right? Like it says like, and he didn't tell his father or mother about it. I feel like that would be something you bring up at the dinner table. This is what happened to me. Well, moving on. Well, the wedding, they go to set up the wedding, and it's kind of the shotgun wedding, and they're off to the wedding, and they stop at the vineyard again. They bypass it again as they're going to the wedding, and Samson notices bees with honey in the lion's carcass, and he touches it, and he eats it, and he gives some to his parents too. Cool detail, Aaron, like, cool story, bro, like, why is this important? But this is an immensely important part of the story that is a lot of times missed. Remember, Samson is a Nazarite. He's a Nazarite. Well, Samson, first off, is in a vineyard, a place that's kind of forbidden. It's like walking into a liquor store when you don't drink. And then he goes and he touches a carcass, an unclean creature. What this is showing is his carelessness towards God's ways, towards God's commands, and towards God's directions. I gotta pause there. Like, do you ever do that? Have a bit of carelessness towards God sometimes, or a time where you're not willing to follow necessarily his directions? Again, I'm super guilty of this, and I can relate to Samson. Well, the wedding festivities, they begin. And it says, as his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah, as this was a custom for elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. Again, these are the Philistines, the bullies. First off, that's really weird, right? Like, hey, welcome to the family. I'm going to give you friends now, all right? These are going to be your friends. Like, you're now going to be hanging out with these 30 people. That'd be so awkward. Well, what happens is Samson is with his awkward friends, and he tells this riddle with a high-stick gamble of clo- of, that has clothing on the line, clothing for 30 people. I'm guessing he did it to soothe the awkwardness with his new companions. And he says this, Out of one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. He's talking about the riddle of the lion and the honey. Well, three days later, they're still trying to figure out. They can't get it figured out. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Pretty intense, right? Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. And then she kept nagging, is what the scriptures say. Side note, we just did a series all on wisdom and proverbs. It's too bad Samson didn't have the book of Proverbs because Proverbs 19.13, it says this, a quarrelsome, or some versions say, nagging wife is as annoying as as constant dripping. That would have saved him maybe at that point. I don't know. But we do have Proverbs. And he finally tells her. And she tells the men, 
And they then reveal the answer. Samson explodes with rage, and he finds out she told him. And this is what happens. He goes down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings, gave their clothing to the men who solved the riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Yeah. That happened. Intense, right? Like, time passes. Time passes. He overcomes his fury, and he returns to his wife. He brings a goat to this wheat harvest as it's happening. And I feel like that's like bringing goat cheese and chocolate to your spouse if, let's say, you're mad, they're mad at you. Like, hey, I got some nice things for you. Let, let's, let's kind of smooth things over. Like, you want some of this? And he goes to meet the father because she's at her, at her father's house. He goes to meet her father, and this is what he says to her in Judges 15.1. I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her. But her father wouldn't let her in. I mean, if I'm dad here, I'm not letting her in, let him in either. Like, that's, that's how you greet me? Like, I'm going in to sleep with her. I would definitely not let that happen. So what happens is fury takes over Samson again. What happens is he gathers foxes, he lights their tails on fire, sets them free in the wheat fields, and it burns down all the fields, and he goes into hiding because of his uncontrolled anger. Well, in response, the Philistines flip. They get so angry, and they show how evil of people they are. They go to Samson's wife and her father, they burn them, and they, take them, they kill them, and then they start oppressing all of Judah, of God's people, because they want to know what is going on. Where is Samson? And the people are like, we don't want to deal with this. That's just Samson you got going on. Like, we don't want to deal with this. And it says, so 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave of the rock of Etam. Hold on for a second. 3,000 go to get one man. That's so many people. That is so many people. But put it in your context once. When you're enraged, mad, doing your own thing, People are like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Hey, maybe you should stop that. How many people does it take you to snap out of that sometimes? To get back on track? Sometimes it's an unlimited number, right? It doesn't happen. I think this is showing that this is what's going on in that situation, and this is how powerful Samson was. They say to Samson when they meet him, they say, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did what they did to me. But the men of Judah told him, we have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Well, they do that. Samson lets him take them. He, he, he gets bound up by these ropes, and he comes face to face with the Philistines. And as he meets them, he rips off the ropes and literally destroys all the Philistines present without even a scratch on himself. Hundreds of them. Again, this is the power that, that Samson has through God. That's not possible, right? To kill hundreds and not even get a scratch on you, that's showing that God has given this gift to Samson. Well, apparently after a battle, you get thirsty, and this is what Samson says to God immediately after the battle. Samson was now thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? i got to think for us once. When you accomplish something crazy like that, miraculous, do you go instantly into demanding more things from God? I think we do sometimes. I know I do. So God gives him water, though. God provides. And as we're getting close to the end of our story, Samson 
is this judge, right? He's this judge we're hearing about that has the power to help lead God's people to victory. He has this miraculous strength. And we see he sort of helps his people, but let's be real. He never fully rescues them. He never really even tried. He only went after his fury, battles that were helpful to him only for his gain. Do you know someone like that? Have you been that person? Like someone where you feel has the ability and the potential, but just never embraced it to maximize God's kingdom. Is it maybe a blessing that you personally have or could offer? Is it a talent or an ability that you have, but you never really capitalized on it for God? What if you were different? What if you were different? And what areas would that be for you? What needs to change now to make this happen? Well, as we kind of wrap up our story of Samson, years later, we see Samson again. He's parting away, not doing what God wants. He's with a prostitute, and again, uh, he's not fulfilling anything that God's prompting him to do. He's not using his God-given gift. Philistine men are still trying to get him, so they camp out at the city where they know he is, and they, they fall asleep, and he lifts up the gates and literally just walks away, and just to show and to smite them and humiliate them, which brings us to the final Samson event that's really well known of this story if you've heard it. Samson, again, he falls in love with another woman. Her name's Delilah, and it says the rulers of the Philistines go to this girl, Delilah, and they say, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And she does it. She begs him to tell him, like, what is it that gives you the strength? And he says, well, bowstrings, bowstrings could hold me back. So while, she, while he's sleeping, she, uh, she uh, ties him up with bowstrings, and he yells, she yells, the Philistines are coming. He breaks it, overpowers his enemies. Then instead of him being angry at her for tying him up, she entices him again. Weird, right? Like, hey, you lied to me. What really does give you your strength? And like it says this, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. And then he says ropes, tie me with ropes. She does it, doesn't work, and she puts him on for like not telling him the truth again. Like, you lied to me again. Seriously. Next time he says, oh, it's like the looming of my hair. If you could tie my hair into things, you know, like maybe, maybe that would hold me back. She does it, doesn't work, and still she puts it on him. You're lying to me. You're lying to me. Now before we like talk about the end of this, and we talk about the last time, you might be like, this is super silly. This seems so silly. Three times, really. But I was thinking for myself, how often have I fallen to doing something sinful more than three times? How often have I said, I won't do this thing again, or I won't say this again, or I won't think this again, yet I still fall to it another time, and another time, and another time. I think all of us have at times. Well, she comes to this last time. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until she was, he was sick to death. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. So she shaves it, and this time she knows it's the truth. She cuts his hair, and then... Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do just as before, shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. 
The Philistines, they seize him, they bind him, they blind him, they take him away. And this is a pivotal point in the story of Samson as we wrap it up. Because Samson learns and knows fully his power is from God alone. It was miraculous power that was something was given to him. And it wasn't just like his hair that gave him power. It was God and that promise he had between him and God. It was that they had mutual respect and honor of God's request on not cutting his hair from birth. Yet he felt he didn't need God anymore. He felt he was fine on his own. And it brought him to his demise. Well, how Samson times ends is 22 says his hair began to grow back. And there's one last party with the Philistines where they're mocking God and worshiping other gods. And they call Samson out for mockery. They want to, like, make fun of him. And the fury of Samson had never died. And he wanted personal revenge, blind and all. And he puts his arms on some pillars. And his power returns. And he destroys the temple and everyone in it, and himself included. And it ends Samson's time as a judge. The end. Now, if you've been paying attention, you see the story of Samson... It is not a story of a hero. It is not a story of a hero. It's a story of a hero's potential. Samson had all the potential to be this judge to deliver God's people, to help God's people. Yet lust, fury, revenge, thinking of his own way, they were always at the forefront of his mind and his desires, and they always won over God's. Even at the end, he was all about personal revenge and never with repentance. It's sad. It's sad as Samson was this giant, had this giant gift given by God. And it was a gift given with the intention to rescue God's people. He just never chose to do it. And he never accomplished it. I want you to think, is there something God has gifted you with? That you have used and abused for your own sake? Like, is it the money you feel you've earned, or the success, or a business, or influence, or ability to talk, or strength, or a family, a talent, an insight, knowledge? Is there something you are not accomplishing to your full potential for God because your own desires are getting in the way? Because we learn that just because you maybe have the power, you maybe have the ability, or you maybe are placed as the leader, it does not mean you're doing it all right. It does not mean you are honoring God. Samson allowed his free will, or he allowed his God-given free will to choose to use his God-given gift for his own personal desires. I don't know about you, but as sad as it seems with Samson, I can relate to it. I can relate to it. As a person, who feel, who, one who feels gifted by God, I feel I have some talents from God, there are some things I can re relate to in Samson's heir. And I think there's some that you probably could too. So as I wrap up today and send you off thinking about this story, I'm going to state a few series of statements that were noticeable with Samson and his story that maybe are things that you can replace with your own name and will help you see where you need to address your Samson-like characteristics and then change to use your God-given gifts for God. I'll read these for you. It's Samson disregards boundaries. Samson struggles with lust. Samson ignores good advice. Samson breaks rules. 
Samson overestimates his own cleverness. Samson used anger as a tool. Samson repeated the same mistake. Samson has a big ego. Samson takes foolish risks. Samson struggles with real intimacy. Samson takes too much for granted. Samson loses sight of the big picture. Which one fits your name that you could replace with your name in using your talent for God? These are, these are all from a book that's called Samson, uh, The Samson Syndrome. It's a, it's a great book. I use it to study for this, this message. But as we sit in this, I see this obviously isn't, yay, good news, I feel like Samson, or something you're like excited about hearing. But, I, but as I leave you with this, if you can identify your abuse of your God-given ability or what's stopping you from fulfilling God's desires and then address it, imagine the outcome you could have. Imagine that. Like, as, as I think of myself, like, if I just take a couple of these and replace my name, Aaron struggles with real intimacy. Aaron takes too much for granted. Aaron loses sight of, of the big picture. If I say those things, if I can identify with them, I can then know what I need to work on. If Samson did this, imagine the outcome Samson could have. If you do this, imagine the outcome you can have. So today, the good news for you is your time is not over like Samson's. You can change today. And we can have the forgiveness and guidance from Jesus, a personal God who lives with you if you want him to, to guide your steps in using your gifts if you want him to. If you, if you want to pray with me today, to pray to have Jesus guide you in your steps, to get you past your Samson syndromes, I'm going to pray that for some of us today, to get past a, maybe a particular Samson syndrome. But I also think there's some people here maybe that, that you want God to live with you. You want God to live with you, and you want, you want God to help you fix all of those Samson syndromes that kind of come to mind. You want to be a Christian. You want to be one who's kind of set apart like Samson was, used by God for good. To do that, it's saying to God that you want him to live with you. And it's you saying, I know Jesus is personal. I know Jesus forgives my mess-ups. I know Jesus forgives my Samson-like times through the sacrifice of what he's done. If that's you, you can say that to God, and you can become a Christian and be forgiven. I want to use that uh, for myself personally. I want to pray that God identifies my Samson-like syndromes. If you want to pray that with me too right now, you can pray that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us Samson, of teaching us how there's some things that we just do that maybe we've been gifted with, but that are not what you want. God, I pray that as we, we looked at the story of the potential of a hero, that we learned that there are some things that, that we can identify in our own life that are similar and that we can address. God, I just pray that you have us address those things and you make those things aware to us. God, and then some of us, We've never really even embraced the fact that you've gifted us. You've gifted us with things like you did Samson. And God, we want to use those things for you. So help us do that. God, we, we trust that you can live with us and have us move forward with, with amazing things with you on our side and with you connected with us. So we just pray that some of us right now are saying, God, we want you to live with us. We want you to guide us in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.